Hello, uh, my name is Paul Langham and uh, some of you may even remember that uh, many years ago I was curate at All Saints from 1987 to 1991. I'm currently vicar of Christchurch Clifton in Bristol and also um, I am the regional director for New Wine Southwest. And it's been a joy to begin getting to know Mark and Meg and a real pleasure and privilege to be invited to speak to you over this summer series. Um, we're going to be looking in a little while at Exodus 16 verses 1 to 5. Um, so if you have a Bible you might want to turn it on, begin tapping away, typing in the reference and setting it all up or of course if you're my generation simply opening the Bible and finding the place. Do you know, there's a really good reason that the car you drive has a windscreen and a rearview mirror in the proportions that they are. Just imagine it the other way around. Imagine having a tiny rectangular slit for a windscreen uh, surrounded by an enormous rearview mirror. You'd be overwhelmed by what is behind you and find it difficult to focus on what is ahead. And I think that's one of the problems that has often faced the Church of God, that we have failed to note that the main focus has to be the future. We need to be aware of the past, of course, that's, of course, that's why we have a rearview mirror, but we can't make that our focus. I've been asked to address the question, as have other speakers in your summer series, what comes next? I actually, if I may, want to turn it into the first part of a statement. What comes next lies ahead. What comes next lies ahead. We need, uh, by God's grace and uh, by his spirit, to have a real focus for the windscreen and not the rear view mirror. If we are to emerge from this crisis, uh, we will do so looking to God's future, not to the church's past. I think historians and social commentators will look back and will describe this time as having lived through a season of great human disruption. Our Mayor of Bristol, Marvin Rees, recently said, the world is in mourning. We're mourning the death of the illusion that we were somehow in control. Baroness Finlay, Professor of Palliative Medicine at Cardiff University, recently wrote, up until now, People thought they could plan for everything, but we finally realised that we live with uncertainty all the time, and it's confronted us head on. Perhaps it's more accurate to say that we live in a time of accelerating disruption. In the world of business, companies are at great risk as technological change makes startups and other um, new businesses easier to launch, and just the pace of technological change. The telephone took five decades to reach 50 million users. The iPod took four years. Pokemon Go, 19 days. The lifespan of large corporations is shifting. Sorry, I've just put my sermon notes over the screen. Actually, it probably looks better. Um, maybe we ought to try that in future. But the, uh, the, the lifespan of large corporations is shortening. The average length of time of an S&P Fortune 500 company in America fell from 61 years in 1958 to just 18 by 2012. 
in the UK of the 100 companies which made up the FTSE 100 in 1984, only 24 were left in 2012. The bottom line is that old business models are proving no longer fit for purpose. Well, OK, you say, I, I get that. Um, those are impressive arguments, but the church isn't a business, surely. Well, no, in many ways, definitely not. I'd argue that it should not be, but it behaves like one. The Church of England, of which, uh, however we regard it, we are both part, um, is definitely a business in its business model sense. It has a product. It has a large employed workforce and it has significant assets. When I talk about a large employed workforce, I don't mean that clergy or paid staff are the be-all and end-all. I'm simply saying that in that respect, as in the others, we are like any other business. And the trouble is our business model is hopelessly out of date. We have 43 head offices, virtually autonomous, we call them dioceses. They all duplicate the same staffing structures. They're each able to adopt a wide range of marketing and delivery strategies to, the, to get our product out there. Our financial model, we call it the parish share or the common fund. Uh, I've been saying, I've been ordained 30-something uh, years, 33 years, um, and I've been saying almost that whole time that our financial model is unsustainable. Uh, the Church of England uh, has two provinces in the global Anglican Communion, York and Canterbury, and we are the only provinces that operate this way. It's only been sustained by an unsustainable raid on historic assets, the selling off of vicarages and so on, and a reduction in that paid workforce. So what comes next is a financial reckoning. Within the next few years, possibly starting in a matter of months, the number of dioceses, I'm convinced, will be reduced. We will have to find radical new ways in which to be the church. Now you'll have heard all of this before and for some it may not sound like a very encouraging message but for churches like All Saints, for churches like Christchurch Clifton, for the New Wine Network this will be a time of great opportunity alongside great challenge. In the secular world survival will depend on the ability to look forward to the new and not back to the old and the same is true for God's people. So let's just read the first five verses of Exodus 16. A uh, couple of chapters earlier, they've crossed the Red Sea, they've been led out of Egypt. If you need the background, uh, you'll need to ask Mark or Meg. But we read here that the whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. It seems to me that we share a number of similarities with those Old Testament people of God. We are on an unexpected journey that we have not chosen, 
through an unknown place that looks very like a desert to an indistinct destination. And many of the Bible's unexpected journeys share those two characteristics. They're involuntary, in other words, they're not chosen by the people concerned, and they lead into the desert. And probably you've spent time thinking about, reflecting, praying, talking with others about how you feel to be on a journey that you've not chosen. The extraordinary thing is that the Israelites were within days looking back to the previous world that had enslaved them and that was not healthy for them. And it's interesting, I think many of us in the season of lockdown looked back to what went before and thought, gosh, how did we ever cope with the stress and the pressure and the, and, and the way that life was? It was unsustainable. You can be enslaved even by something you enjoy. You can be oppressed even by something that is comfortable. We need to focus on the windscreen, not the rear view mirror. One of the biggest mistakes that the local church and the national church could make would be to come out of lockdown with our eyes on the rear view mirror, seeking simply to go back to the way we did things before. One of our key prayers as a church has to be, Lord, reveal what is our future and above all, reveal to us what we must not take forward into that future from our past. A couple of practical things to close. Rhythms and food. When the people complained about the lack of food, God said that he would give them food. It was called manna. It was a sort, sort of like an ancient Near Eastern frosties, um, uh, flakes on, on the ground. And we learn a few things about it. If we read on in chapter 16, you can do this, verses 19 onwards, God gives remarkably precise instructions. It's to be collected each morning. Once the sun, there's going my sermon notes again, sorry about that. Once the sun grows hot, it disappears. It won't keep for tomorrow. And once a week, there's enough for two days so that the people can take their Sabbath rest. So the question is, who's feeding you? And with what are you feeding yourself? And this is about our spiritual rhythms. And there is something very real about that pattern. Something has to be daily. You can't store it up. Uh, I, I don't think you can say, well, I'll, I'll have a really good time with the Lord on Monday. And that will probably see me through to Thursday. It's just not the way it works. Regular daily rhythms of feeding are absolutely key. Rhythms of rest are key. I know many of us had the luxury of enjoying more rest during the lockdown season than we might previously have done. But what happens now as we begin to emerge? Uh, do we begin to cut down our devotional time again? Do we, need to, do we go back to the days and weeks where we look back and say, gosh, when did I last really rest? Rhythms of feeding, rhythms of rest are key to being healthy as God's people. Secondly, and I want to say this, um, trust your leaders. Uh, older um, Christians may be familiar with a verse in Hebrews 13, verse 17, that read in the older translations, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. And the funny thing is, when you look in the Greek, the word obey isn't there, neither is the word authority. Actually, what the verse says is put your confidence in your leaders. The Greek word actually is the root of the word that is used throughout the New Testament for faith. It's the word uh, that the Bible uses when it says, put your trust in God or put your trust in Jesus. And that's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? I think actually 
it's an even greater call than the call to obey. You can obey somebody through gritted teeth. You can obey somebody because you're coerced to. Uh, a bit like possibly uh, people in Hong Kong may feel about the Chinese authorities. that They're going to obey, but it's going to be with gritted teeth and, and maybe a heart full of rebellion when the time comes. Well, I don't want that sort of relationship with the people I'm called to serve. But actually, it's a much higher and in many ways harder calling to be encouraged to put your confidence in your leaders. You can't do that through gritted teeth. That has to be something in the heart. And so I simply say to you, not knowing most of you at all, just to encourage you from Scripture to put your trust in your leaders there at All Saints. And finally, of course, what comes next? And this is where the rearview mirror and the windscreen merge into one, because what comes next is Jesus. Always has been, always is, always will be. And it may well be in the stripping away of the familiar and in the fact that we cannot simply go back to what we've always done, that we are enabled as churches of word and spirit to enable Jesus to come more clearly into focus. We are like everybody else on this planet in one respect, in that we do not know what the future holds. But we are unlike everyone else on this planet in one other respect, in that we know the one who holds the future. May he guide and lead, strengthen and sustain you, now and always. Amen.